morning, everyone. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for this wonderful day. We thank you so much for the joy and the reality of the resurrection. We pray, God, that you would bless us as we gather together to, to celebrate and worship. In the name of Jesus, amen. Do please be seated. Like a COVID waistline, my 10-minute talk has grown. So let's uh, get straight into Mark 16, verse 1, where it says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. So clearly they believed, didn't they, that Jesus was still dead. He'd been publicly tortured. He'd been killed. His death had been certified. He'd been sealed in a tomb. The tomb had been guarded by soldiers. But then we have a whole pile of evidence that Jesus is alive. The soldiers are not there. The stone is rolled away. And an angel gives the only explanation. He has risen. He is not here. Then some more evidence. See the place where they laid him. And then a promise that he will be revealed to many people in Galilee. There you will see him. And then a reminder that Jesus had prophesied every aspect of this extraordinary thing, just as he told you. One of my oldest friends is not a believer. And uh, we used to go to church together on, on days like this. And I think we both realized at around the same time that these claims that we're examining this morning are either true or false. And either way, true or false, the implications are huge. Your decision on the reality or the ridiculousness of the resurrection logically ought to be the defining feature of your life. Either way, your decision about the things we're talking about today should shape everything you live for. Now, some pastors and, and priests attack people when they come just a few times a year, like I used to do, like my friend did. And I'm not going to do that. I would never do that. I want to say to you that if you have doubts or you have questions, if you've not yet made up your mind, you are in the perfect place right now. I'm never, ever going to understand why some ministers get upset and say, oh, no, someone's come to church. Like, that's weird. It's a really good thing. But uh, I think my friend and I, we both decided, we both agreed at the same time that this cannot be a permanent position. I think we both agreed that in the end, a response is required. And it might take a while, like it did for me. But an arrival point of being half in and half out makes no sense at all. So what happened is, and around the same time, uh, I left nominalism and I came to faith in Jesus Christ. And my friend with very similar levels of integrity left nominalism, and he came to faith in atheism. He concluded that uh, God does not exist, and I concluded that he does and that you can know him. And we've talked about this stuff for years. Like every time we meet, we talk about it. We go round and round in circles. There is banter. There is argument. Every time, this is our, our chief subject of conversation, and we love it. But one day, he said to me, look, we've been doing this for years. Just give me your best point. That's all I want. Then we had a brief sub-argument about on whom was the burden of proof, and uh, I was too excited, so I shared my point anyway, even though he was wrong. And uh, that is 
Jesus. That's my best point. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the thing we are commemorating today, is the biggest and best piece of evidence for the hope that we have. The unique events around that first Easter day fulfilled hundreds of prophecies. As Ben was saying on Good Friday, hundreds of years ago, they'd been written hundreds of years ago, there were hundreds of them, he fulfilled them down to the tiniest of details. Many of these fulfillments were way beyond any possible human control. And the events themselves are verifiable by every standard historical technique. And those who witnessed the events firsthand and spread the good news of what they'd seen were persecuted for what they shared. There was no incentive for the apostles to lie. Then his enemies had every incentive to do everything they could to cancel the good news. And yet begrudgingly, his enemies, Roman and Jewish historians of the time, affirmed the central points as true. Resurrection Sunday is the strongest piece of evidence that we have for our faith. This year, I want to go a layer deeper still. And I want to ask this. If the resurrection is real, if it is, then what real difference does it make to you? That's where the Apostle Paul goes in our New Testament lesson. We can turn to Colossians together. It's quite a brief part of just chapter 3. Colossians 3, verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. You either believe that Christ was raised from the dead or you do not. And therefore, you have either been raised with Christ from the dead or you have not. If then you've been raised with Christ, why then are you living like you have not? That's Paul's question. You cannot live with one foot in the grave or you will fall into it. No one ever fell out of a hole. Now, my son's going to be at the 11 o'clock and he's going to get clever with me and he's going to try and come up with an example of someone falling out of a hole. Like what about an airplane or something? You still fell into a hole. It just took you a lot longer to get to the bottom of it, all right? No one ever fell out of a hole. If you are half in and half out, you are dead. Verse 1 continues, seek the things that are above. It means desire. Seek means to, to crave. It means to strive after. In other words, to, to bend your entire will towards obtaining something. Fans of Lord of the Rings will know how Gandalf says of Sauron's unslakable need for the ring. He is seeking it, seeking it. All his thought is bent on it. So my question is, what about you? What are you seeking? In church, we talk about seekers. It's a little bit of Christianese, a sort of category for someone who's exploring the claims of Jesus. And Jesus says in Matthew 7, seek and you will find. And when you find him, Paul says, don't stop seeking. Don't just think all you need to do is make a quick decision and then it's done. Keep going, says Paul. Do you crave? This is a question for everybody, no matter what your faith position is. Do you crave the resurrected Christ? Has your life been radically transformed by him? Do you crave time with him? Do you crave the results of that time? Do you crave healing? and freedom, and power? Have you been low enough yet 
to want to be raised up? Do you crave healing? Do you crave the forgiveness of the good news? Are you desperate, maybe, for an addiction to be broken or for a relationship to be repaired? That's what Jesus is all about. Would you like to live with no more guilt, no more pressure to be this amazing person, no more need to live up to some peculiar standard of something that you've been told you have to achieve in order to be worth something in the world? Do you know that you are loved by the sovereign of the universe as a person? Set your minds. We've had the heart now for the mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Do you crave eternity or do you crave the grave? It's one or the other, in or out. And the implications, either way, are very real. Paul says of those who are in, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your old life was dead And if you converted to faith in Jesus Christ, you died to your old life and you died to death and you rose to something new. And there is more newness yet to come. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You will resurrect just like Jesus did as well. At our baptism service last night, Erica's descent into the water was reminiscent of a burial in a grave. And as she was raised up out of the water, it was reminiscent of her rising up from the grave like Christ did. A baptism is a, is, a, is a funeral of a sort, but it's a funeral to death. It's a reminder of a resurrection yet to come. And we talk about life after death. People talk about life after death all the time. Here's the good news. You were dead. You were headed to more death. You were headed to death after death, in fact, But in Christ, you came alive, and now you're headed to more life, life after life. If you're in Christ, you are no longer ruled by sin, no longer defined by it, no longer judged for it, never to be killed by it. Christ was, and he rose from the grave for you. To be hidden with Christ, it means to be covered over with him. It's the word crypto in Greek, from which we get words like cryptic and crypt. It's a, it's a, a secret covering or, or a, an underground place. It's a, a, a place where something is hidden or buried. You've been buried with Christ. You've been covered over with Christ. And he's risen. Therefore, so are you. Death has no power over you. Has no power over him. So I want to ask you this, church. If He is no longer in the grave. Why are so many of you living like you are? What's the matter with you? Why do you let the dead define your life? Why are you still so obsessed with the things of this life? Why do you crave the grave? No one, none of us would be content to fall into a grave by mistake and then just stay there, would we? Wouldn't just look around and go like, It's not so bad, you know, it's all right, it's a bit damp, I suppose, but, you know, if someone brings me food, I can stay here, I've got my cell phone, I think I'll order pizza in tonight, you know, maybe for Christmas I could improve it, do it up a bit, get a new TV, 
make it nice, settle in. No one in the right mind would live that way, would they? And yet we live in one of the nicest towns in possibly the greatest country in the history of the world. And I want to tell you that Fox Chapel is a grave. It's a very nice one. It's a manicured and air-conditioned one, but it's a grave nonetheless. Do not let the trappings of this world fool you into seeing it as anything other than it really is. At the opposite end of the spectrum, literally as different from our village as you can get, I read about a problem in Iran with a group there living in Iran that they call the grave dwellers. And it seems uh, in Iran, those who are homeless have stopped sleeping rough in the towns and under bridges, and they've moved out to the countryside where it feels safer, and they've started sleeping in graves in order to keep warm. And they cover themselves up in the grave to sleep for the night. And it's desperation that's driven them to this place. In, in a culture where homelessness brings shame, they've gone out and they've hidden in a grave and no one's looking, but it's brought them even greater shame. And the Iranian theocratic solution to this problem is what? Beat them up. Go out into the countryside and drive them out of the graves with sticks. Shame them out of the grave. Christ, on the other hand, calls you out of your grave with love, not with shame. Not one word of condemnation comes from his lips. You cannot get any lower at all than a grave. That's the end. There's nothing worse. And yet what we find is that Christ Jesus himself chose one for you. And then he broke it. Wrecked it up. That is the good news. And we proclaim the good news every single week. We explain it every week. Starting next week, for nine weeks, flowing on from this, we'll be asking not what the good news is, but what the good news does. What practical difference does it make? Short version, Easter preview, and I've run out of time. It brings you alive. Let's pray. God, Heavenly Father, thank you that you defeated death and that you rose from the grave. So, Father, if any of us is, is living in shame or living for the things of this world and finding strangely a, a lack of satisfaction in such things please rescue us and deliver us and if indeed we have turned to you please give us kingdom vision please give us living eyesight in the name of jesus christ amen <laughs>